everyone, welcome back to Graveyard Sessions, a podcast about the creative process. And uh, for the next few, I guess, seven songs, for the next seven songs, um, I am going to be interviewing myself about creative process and how I came to write all the songs on my upcoming album, Old Kentucky Light, that will be releasing on September 16th of, um, well, next month, 2022. Um, and uh, just in, for you New York people uh, or the general tri-state region, there were, if you happen to be in New York on September 21st, there will be a really great album release party at Rockwood Music Hall on stage one. It'll be for 45 minutes. It's a free show. Come and go as you please. Um, I would really love to see you there. Uh, the band is great. The band, my band is uh, Walter Parks, Etienne Lytle, Paul Frazier, and Steve Williams. And uh, if you don't like me, you're going to love them. So either way, you can't lose. Um, but hopefully you'll enjoy the whole thing, which is the goal. And, um, you can get, uh, the singles that are now out on, uh, Spotify, uh, and on YouTube. And, um, there's one single coming up on September 1st to be released. Uh, but there are three so far, The Water, which has a video on YouTube also, Silver Linings, which is on YouTube and Spotify, like Water Is, or The Water Is, and um, Darkness Before the Dawn, which is what we're going to be talking about today. That just released this past Thursday with a video by Raheem Stanley. And um, uh, this one is very close to my heart, um, the video and the song. Um, Darkness Before the Dawn is one of those songs, you know, I feel really lucky to have written that because, um, it's one of those songs that, um, I don't know, it's kind of like you get a gift and that gift is sort of like your, becomes your wubby, <laughs> I mean, for lack of a better way to say it. Um, I get up, when I get up in the morning, most mornings, I sit down in front of my computer and I sing and play the guitar or just, you know, I'm if I'm practicing, I practice, I practice uh, singing uh, the songs of my album for performances and just keep in shape and blah, blah, blah. And uh, the first song in the album is Darkness Before the Dawn. And that song, I sing it honestly sometimes if I just don't feel good or I feel out of whack or kind of wonky, I'll sing that song just to feel better and settle down. And that's what that song makes me feel. There's, there's, you know, the melody of it, the lyrics, they embody, they feel like they embody me at every level of my being. And, um, they're just, the lyrics are abstract enough that they kind of stretch me out of my conscious mind and remind me that there's something beyond 
just my ego and my body. And um, yeah, there it's uh, for that reason, the song is very self healing. And um, I, I, as we were releasing the song, I, I really, and over the months that the song has been done and it's been finished and I've been playing it for this person, that person, and you know, the songs that get chosen for whatever, um, I notice that people haven't really uh, gravitated to that song, and um, I, uh, I was, I finally was like, you know, I just don't care. I, you know, it's funny. I've noticed how artists, uh, musicians, when they are asked what are their favorite songs that they've written and recorded or whatever. It's never a big hit song. It's rare, I mean, it rarely is, or sometimes it's not, I guess. And and I think it's interesting how um, sometimes these songs just get written because we, the individuals, we need them. And the individuals who write them, we need them. And I just figured, well, nobody really, it's not a bad song. Nobody hates the song, but nobody's really responding to the song. So whatever, who cares? I, you know, this song has a lot of power for me every day. Um, and, you know, if it didn't do anything else, it, it did it to, to, to just give me the strength to go on every day. And, um, and that's my whole gist with this whole project of making and writing songs and music and so forth for me is, you know, Music is healing. Music healed me and got me to get through my life uh, over my entire life and through very, very difficult times. Let me know I was not alone and that there was hope and others who felt like I did. And at, at times where I felt just locked in and totally alone and lonely, um, music made me feel like I had friends, you know? And so. I guess, you know, that's really what the point of this song is for me at that level, where it's like, well, this song, you know, accomplished my own personal needs, which is to heal me. So it it definitely is doing that and it's done that. And for whatever reason, the song has been <clears throat> sent to me by whomever and whatever muse to uh, maybe just for that need. And maybe nobody's going to really respond to it now or ever. But, you know, we make things and we make things because we need to make things. Um, not to necessarily have everything be loved by everyone. So, um, but lo and behold, um, this song uh, has had like, it's it become, it was one of the most downloaded songs on college radio for a couple of weeks. And apparently I was wrong. And it's funny because that that thought came to me that maybe it's just, maybe it was just for me, really. Maybe I'm the song's biggest fan. And, uh, it came that the, then this, I found out about it being the most downloaded song on college radio right after I <laughs> thought, I'm like, well, okay, uh, maybe I'm wrong. And, um, you know, there, there are a bunch of different reasons, uh, why I love this song. And, and, you know, I not only love this song, like it just is so, it's so fulfilling to me. It just makes me, 
it's like I bought myself the most beautiful coat or something. And I just, and I, you know, you can tell from my Instagram posts, I I really love clothes. (laughs) So to me, buying my favorite, like the most beautiful coat I can imagine that would keep me warm, that when I look down at it, it's always so beautiful. The details of it are so well made and so well thought through. Um, it's, it's color. The color is beautiful. It feels beautiful. It looks beautiful. I always feel, you know, just great in it. It always keeps me warm enough or not too warm or whatever. It does what it's supposed to do perfectly. Like, that's how this song feels to me. Um, as a song in and of itself, but also it, the video really ended up being kind of that way too. And the video also had this sort of fortuitous kind of creation, which is what I think, what I think as artists we are obligated to do is we set out with a concept, we fill that concept up with energy we think about it, we, if it's a video, you go and, you know, you go explore locations, you, you talk together with your filmmaker, among other artists about what the idea of the song is, and what the images that it inspires in you, and why you wrote it, think about that again, like, why did I write and record this? And what kind of images does it evoke in the world around me? And those are the things that, um, and, and then you get this strong concept and then, and then you make all these decisions. Okay. We're going to plan, you know, you have the day of the shoot, the filmmaker usually comes up with some kind of a location schedule according to the light and so forth and what you can afford and where you're allowed to go and how many people are able to be there, you know, with you, blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> you make all these plans and then, and then, and then, you know, God laughs at you while you're trying to, you know, instigate those plans. Um, and, uh, and then, and then God also laughs at you <laughs> when you had came in with one idea and one vision board or vision, and and then the filming, the filming happens, and then all the limitations of that day start to happen. You know, it might you might have needed a sunny day, but it's a rainy gray day, or you, one of your crew got sick. Um, you know, there all these things have a a lot of uh, sway over how the final product is going to come out. And you kind of got to roll with it a lot of time, especially if you're on small budgets. And um, and then just trust that you've put enough energy in and it's going to come out the way it's actually supposed to be. And you have a million images, a million photographs, a million historical references, you know, and then what you make comes out. And the more energy you put in, the more what you make your individual baby of this creation, it, 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 it is going to be. And uh, I really believe in that, in that process, because I've been through it so many times, and that's exactly how it works. And if it comes out exactly to a T of what you originally thought it would be, 
you know, you might want to throw it away and start over because it's probably just fit into a shell and not really something that needed to come into the world and exist. I don't know. I mean, this is just how I feel. There's all kinds of models for how things are successful or, you know, even failure as success. So I I don't, I'm not here to tell you how to make anything, but I will say in my experience, that's really how I've, I've experienced it. And so for me, this video was, was a, a really great example of that. And it really, from the location, locations um, that I chose to, and that the filmmaker Rahim chose um, with me, the way we collaborated once we got to those locations based on, you know, what was going on around us, because we had two outdoor locations that were very public. And then one was in my house. And by the time we got to my house, by the mid to late afternoon, I was falling asleep. I was so unbelievably tired. Um, These are really long days. We woke up at four to catch the light on Orchard Street and be there in front of this roll top door that had this incredible picture of uh, the Madonna and Christ spray painted on it, like with perfect details. I mean, it was incredible. And it had everything to do with the song and the story of the song. And I was just like, so we got up, we were, and then that morning light is just always so beautiful. So we, we got up and then, you know, this is partly in Chinatown. (laughs) So all these, all these older Chinese people start, you know, they get up early and they go on their walks or grocery shopping, whatever they're doing. And they just walk, walk through the the shot, you know? So we, there was a garbage truck and, you know, sitting right in front of us for the longest time. And we had to shoot quickly because people, because the roll top door was going to get pulled up. We didn't know when. And, um, and, you know, whatever. So, um, yeah, that was, anyway, there was a lot about that whole day that, um, and that whole, all the location shoot, locations we shot that were, um, pretty fantastic. And, and it was very personal in that way. I mean, I'll tell a story. I've lived a lot of my life in these streets and especially downtown, um, And uh, my grandfather grew up on Orchard Street in the early 1900s and was born there and, um, you know, grew up in the tenement, cold water water flat, you know, tenement housing, lived in a two-room apartment with six brothers and sisters uh, and one mother. And... um, that that was where the origins of one side of my family began in this country. Um, it always is very interesting going for me to go to Orchard Street, especially now that it's gotten so gentrified with all the cute stores and everything and walking around and looking at those buildings and and just wondering and feeling what it was like with him and wondering what building he lived in and wondering what synagogue he went to and wondering how he felt there. And wondering, yeah, I always kind of am in, in gratitude to him when I'm down there spending my money. You know, um, he was just a poor kid who could not barely afford to buy shoes and couldn't go to high school because he had to support his family. He was the oldest. 
And, um, you know, it's just the passage of time is just sort of crazy, you know? Um, so for me, Orchard Street and the Lower East Side also is a place of great creation possibilities for me. And it always has been. My grandmother, my mother's mother who moved there, moved here to New York City in 1963, used to drag me and my brother down there to go to Katz's Delicatessen so we could have real Jewish food uh, when we were down there. And then she, when we were like teenagers, she we'd go down there to buy leather jackets. Like that's where you went in New York City to buy, get a good deal on a leather jacket. And, uh, you know, there are a couple of those stores left, but that's all it was. It was like a garment district. Um, and it used to be extremely dangerous down there. I'd also go with my friend Sean to have um, have lunch or dinner at, at the Hat, which is now, which is El Sombrero. And it's now a really nice restaurant, but then it was just a greasy spoon Mexican diner kind of place. Um, and it was so dangerous. It was really fun though. I just loved it. And, uh, so it really was important to me to shoot down there. And I kind of was flabbergasted when I saw the roll, when we were looking for a spot down there, I was, I was flabbergasted to find this roll top door with the Virgin, with, you know, the Virgin Mary and, um, Jesus laying in her lap dead, that classic, um, uh, Christ, Christ and Virgin, you know, picture, because this this whole album <clears throat> was written out of the intent on my part at a time when I was really learning about things like mercy and surrender, and I wanted to understand how to make a gospel song or sing. Forget making the song. I just started deciding that I was going to write gospel songs or something like that or write about the, those topics. Um, but really, I just wanted to understand. I became very fascinated by gospel music. And then immediately I became very curious about the ideas of surrender and mercy. And um, I had an experience that inspired this album when it started to all come together around this time last summer, maybe back in July, I was walking in it. I was walking down university place and it was about 102 degrees out. So everything was just like hazy and floating. It was so hot. And I was going down there to run an errand and I was listening to Mahalia Jackson on, on my, you know, headphones. And, and I, I heard her, um, Sing, you know, she was singing If I Can Help Somebody. And the beginning of the song started, and it was just so unassuming. And I'm just walking along and I'm so hot, you know. And suddenly, as it, the song grows, um, it just opened up to me like, like a flower. It was the most, and I felt like I'd been trans, trans, like sent to another planet. <laughs> it was really wild. Um, that was sort of the first time I'd heard a lot of gospel before that, but I think that was the first time I quote unquote heard gospel with 
my mind and my body and my heart. It was, it was levitating. And, um, and then, you know, full disclosure, I was running an errand down there and I went into a store to pick something up that I had ordered. And, um, I told them my name, you know, there were two young, um, young employees there who, who worked there. And I told them who I was, you know, my name and, uh, what I was there to get and that had arrived. And, uh, they started talking to me in a way that was like, it was really, uh, condescending. Um, and I think because of the heat and because this song had just really opened me up emotionally, I kind of just let them have it. Uh, I just didn't have it in me to endure that kind of vibe. And I, I, I think it was, if I remember correctly, I think I felt like they kind of deserved it. Like they needed, I felt like they needed to hear it or something. I, I don't know. You know. Nobody really ever needs to hear it, but sometimes people need to like get like, Hey, I'm here. Talk to me. So it was sort of one of those things. And I got the thing I came for and I left. And then in typical Lara fashion, I started feeling guilty about it. <laughs> and, um, walking around and I just, I was going to go home and do some work. And I, uh, I was like, no, I think you need a break. And I went down to university place and this voice in my head was like, why don't you think about instead of feeling guilty and shamed for something you cannot change, why don't you try doing something which is having mercy for yourself. And I said, okay, I'm up for that. So I did. And I just kind of was led down to Washington Square Park to the fountain. And Washington Square Park is like a ground zero for me. (laughs) That's like, you know, energetically, like, that is one of my favorite places on the planet. I just love it there. And especially the music history of it. It's just the creative potential of that area. I I don't know what it is about, you know, from university place on down, it's just down a canal street. It's just really unbelievable. So I went and sat on the edge of the fountain which was, which was going and it was so, you know, really hot day. So a lot of people were in the fountain. It was really low and there were kids playing and so forth. And I walked up to the edge of the fountain and on one of the stairs, at, at, there's like, it has these steps that go down into the fountain. And on the last step that wasn't submerged underwater was a Virgin Mary, one of those Mexican statues, those colorful statues. And just sitting there with all the movement going on, I'm just sitting there. And I was like, okay, I'll sit down. (laughs) And I sat down and uh, I just sat there and I started thinking and I just kind of looked around. It was such a vibrant day. It was really spectacular in this wild way. And, um, 
and I, I sat there for about 10 minutes and I had a lot of thoughts about things, about mercy and surrender and different ways of feeling, like different paradigms from old habits and stuff. And then I, I looked down into the fountain at the Mother Mary statue, Virgin Mary statue, and it had fallen over. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I've learned the lesson. <laughs> and uh, I got up and I, and then I went on my way. And, and so it was very important to me that that be the, one of the locations in the video. And, and so we filmed me in Washington Square Park right at that spot on the fountain, right where I saw that, that statue. And um, I was thinking about that when we were filming. I'm like, wow, that's really something. I'm trying to figure out what that meant, you know. But, you know, what it meant that I, I'd had that experience sitting right there, that so much of my life, my young life had been lived around there. There I was now creating this image about surrender in the very spot that I first ever began to experience surrender and mercy in my own body and heart. And, um, I don't know, um, as someone who's had a very hard life, it's really important that I take note of those moments where things are not hard, where things start to make sense. And that was one of those moments. So I was really thinking about that and trying to have gratitude for it because that's what is important, you know, and, um, and take note, you know, um, so anyway, that's the video, you know, and then we had a, a, a couple of other locations slated for that day, but we, we both ran out of energy, both me and Rahim, and we had the only, we only had the day. It was a very low budget film. We only had, you know, um, we were low on budget on time and finances, you know, and we had to make it work in those 12 hours or eight hours or however long it took us. And, um, you know, when we did, and it wasn't at all what I'd hoped for, it wasn't the, you know, $200,000 version, which you have to think about when you're creating something, no matter what your budget is, because you never know what's going to happen. And you hope that you, you're good enough with understanding your concepts and what you put in that you can get the essence of that $200,000 version into the $1,500 version, you know, um, because you should be able to, if you're really, you know, playing clean and, um, you may not get all the stuff you want, but you can get, if your intention is in your heart, it, it gets in, you know? Um, so I, um, you know, then Rahim went away and he, it, within a week he came back and he's like, this is what we have 
from the takes and this is how I feel. And he was absolutely right, of course, because we were like right on par with each other. Like he was, he got the song, he got, it was like, yes, this is perfect. And I'd never even thought about it in the way, you know, this, but that's how these things get, and so get made. And, And so now, you know, having seen that, and it just, the song means even more to me because it is a love letter to New York City which has rejected me fully when I was totally rejectionable uh, many years ago and fully embraced me when I was totally willing to play by the rules of New York City and what it requires, which is a lot of discipline. You know, you can't just come here and blow your load because you will pay. And um, I had to leave for a long time and come back as an adult and to be able to manage this place and 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 get something from it and give something to it. So it's it's very deep for me in that way. But then also so the meaning of the song, you know, I am a big Leonard Cohen fan as I've mentioned 8 million manillion times to anyone who knows me or and on this podcast and I'm always very curious about how he gets how he brings his lyrics in. Um, not on every song, but on most of them, they seem to come, they, they are abstract, metaphysical. They come from these dark spaces of silence that are very light. And, um, they're, they make total sense and then they make no sense at all. And, uh, and everybody fucking loves them including me. And I think I had always been curious how he did that. And as I started writing songs, how do I create that feeling of that quality of silence and write from that within myself and have that experience on paper and, um, or in a song or whatever. And to me, this song, I wrote this song when I decided I read the first few lines of the song when I decided I wanted to write a gospel song soon after I heard that Mahalia Jackson song on University Place. And I think it was those first couple lines, I lost my grip, even the devil had left me alone to my devices. And, um, you know, I've been in that place, and I think a lot of other people have. Um, And the this idea of darkness before the dawn is sort of a cliche, but it it's, you know, cliches only exist because they're real, they're true. And I was having right around the time that I wanted, you know, I was inspired by this gospel inspiration. Um, I was having a conversation with someone, a friend, a close friend, and we were talking about whatever. I don't even remember the subject, but he said, yeah, it's the darkness before the dawn. And I was like, I mean, he just kind of somehow that came around and I was like, something in my mind opened up and darkness before the dawn has always been the thing. One of the things that has always gotten me through life, this idea, you know, the, the, um, uh, what's that song? You have to go through hell before you get to heaven. Big old jet airliner. What's that? I, I can't remember the band. My memory is not always so hot, but um, 
that I, you know, I heard those lines when I was a kid and, and when things were tough, I thought about, well, what does that mean? Is that true? And it is true. And that has always gotten me through that you, you know, there is darkness before, right? It gets darkest before the dawn. It gets, it gets really hellish before you get to heaven. And that's, 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 that's like a, that's not like some magical thinking. That is actually a physical truth. Like if you study physics, that is a, 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 you know, an equation in physics that that's real stuff. And, um, and so when you're thinking about your own life, when I've been thinking about my own life, I think about that. Like when things get really tough, it's like, okay, it's just, you know, I never say, God, it couldn't get any worse than this because it somehow always does. I just say, wow, you know, I know from experience there, this is, this, this is pretty intense darkness and this is going to give because I am alive and breathing and I'm desiring some other outcome and I'll do whatever I have to do to get that outcome. And, uh, when I get to that, into that space, it, it always, it always happens. And um, I guess some of those lyrics, I, I honestly, especially in the second verse, I, I couldn't tell you really exactly what they mean, but I do know what they mean in my heart. And I've been there many times. Um, and sometimes it's just every day that I'm there where I'm trying and trying and trying to do something and, and I'm doing it like an asshole. And I know I am. And the higher powers, powers looking down at me and laughing because it knows that I know. And yet, you know, uh, that's what I do (laughs) until it hurts so bad. It gets dark enough that I'm like, I want some different outcome than this. So, you know, I guess that's one reason why it feels, makes me feel better to, to hear it, to sing it. It just makes me know that I can. I can get out of difficulties. That that is something that can happen to me, um, despite any and everything, and it can happen to you too. It can happen to anyone. Um, yeah, and so that's ultimately what the, what this song um, song is about. You know, I also feel like the song is. Um, it's like a reckoning that when you're at the darkness before the dawn, you are, you are at a reckoning and you're sort of, and that's the place where you sort of open everything up to whatever to, and, and beg whatever higher power or non higher power you believe in to let it take you and guide you because you're out of options. You're out of micromanagement, you know, um and uh yeah i mean that's it's almost like it's a witnessing um you know witnessing you know vying on my behalf to to any higher power and and asking you know please don't forget me that's I guess really what it's about. And, um, you know, when you get to that point, 
you do find a different outcome. That's that's the true surrender. Um anyway, <laughs> that is what that song is about. And uh I um I uh I'm I really uh, you know, I I it's gotten a good response, you know, and and that makes me feel really good. Uh, it makes me feel like I'm making something that's connecting to people who need to hear it. And that's why I make anything, especially music, is so it can find the people who need to hear it. Um, and, you know, that people just enjoy it, that it gives them something beautiful to live with, especially in times where there's a lot of not beautiful things um, happening and it's confusing and it's painful and it's devastating. And I just always pray that I can create respite um, in my work. Um, so I'm going to play you Darkness Before the Dawn. But before we finish, I just want to remind you, um, you know, go check me out on Instagram at Lara Taubman Sings. Uh, or Twitter. I think I'm Lara Talman Sings there. I am Lara Talman Sings on Facebook, but I'm also just Lara Talman on Facebook, uh, which has a little bit of different content. And, um, and you know, album, the whole album releases next month, September 16th. The next single releases on September 1st. And the album release party is in New York City at Rockwood Music Hall, stage one, 7 p.m. September 21st. Um, your turnout or your streaming of the video or your likes all help me immensely. And of course, you know, when the album comes out, it'll be on uh, CDs and vinyl. And um, I really hope you, you want to buy something because it really helps out too. Any support at all is, is, um, a great deal of support and, and helps me move this whole project along and all the people involved and get the music, you know, further and further out there. Um, anyway, thank you. And thank you for listening. And, um, I hope you enjoy it and, uh, have a really beautiful day. Even the devil had left me alone to my devices. I couldn't push head, and the past was dead. No cliff left to hang from. It to 